Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by my favorite college in America, Hillsdale College, which proudly refuses every penny of government funding to remain independent. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to Hillsdale for their sponsorship. It's all quiet in the underground bunker. Doors closed, locks bolted. But the great one isn't just resting on his laurels. He's making sure your weekend is even better by giving you his best. This is the best of Mark Levin. You ever go to the uh, House Progressive Caucus site? You can see it on the internet, what they stand for. These are Marxists. Universal health care, a progressive national security, climate justice, a fair economy. These are Marxists. And uh, we've had a long talk about this. Pramila Jayapal from Seattle is the chairman. The deputy chair is Elon Omar. The chair emeritus is Barbara Lee. The whip is Greg Caesar. These are the worst of the worst. The worst of the worst. They are economic socialists. They are cultural Marxists. They reject everything we believe in. I want to make something abundantly clear. Those who name-call neocon and rhino and all that, you have no impact on me whatsoever. None. You're not conservatives. You're not constitutionalists. You're not capitalists. You don't believe in this country any more than these progressives do, these Marxists do. Because you would never catch me dead conspiring with these people, conspiring with these Marxist Democrats in the House of Representatives that hates your guts, each and every one of you, that supports an open border, that opposes real constitutionalism, that back Black Lives Matter, that black back Antifa, that hate the United States military, that hate our police, and their defund movement. How many of you would sit down with them and cut a deal? With AOC, with Ilhan Omar, with Talib, with Bowman, with Jayapal, with Barbara Lee. How many of you would do that and then claim to be a conservative? Would you, Mr. Producer? I wouldn't even want to be in the same room with these people. But I'm the big conservative, don't you know? I want to cut government. I want to shut down the whole damn thing. And if it means making deals with Marxists, by God, I will do it. Then you're listening to the wrong program. Goodbye. Goodbye. You're listening to the wrong program. Because you don't care about the country. That's not to say you have to agree with the Republicans. I've been sitting behind this microphone almost 21 years duking it out with Republicans. You know how 
Mark Meadows came up with the idea to try and remove the former speaker, John Boehner. He called me, and I went through the process with him. And I told him what the petition should say. And we went over it together. Remember that, Mark? Remember that? Why? Because John Boehner was trying to destroy the Tea Party. Because he was colluding with Barack Obama against conservatives. Because he was removing conservatives from committees like Mark Meadows. That's why. Nobody duked it out with Paul Ryan more than I. We were friends at one point when he was conservative. Not anymore. I didn't change. They changed. Orrin Hatch. I'd known Orrin Hatch since I was 24 years old. Then in his last term, he moved left. I criticized him. He called me on the phone. I wouldn't take his call. Ben Sass ran as a Tea Party candidate. Then he threw in with Bob Corker in Tennessee to undermine, I believe, the country on his position on Iran. He called me and I told him, don't ever call me again. I don't work with these people on the Hill. I don't want to work with them. At the same time behind this microphone, when Ted Cruz was at 5% and called me, we jumped in and fought like hell. Mike Lee at the convention in Utah, we jumped in and we fought like hell. He was the underdog. Marco Rubio, who doesn't even come on the show anymore, or go on every other show, when he was at 5% running as a Tea Party candidate, we jumped in to support him. And that made a huge difference. By we, I mean you. Taking on Mitch McConnell, I've done it for 15 years. He's a disgrace and always has been. You don't see all these people coming on my show. They're going on shows of other Fox people or the radio. Not mine. Because they don't want me and I don't want them. I know a huckster when I see one. I know a huckster when I see one. And for those on social media who haven't done a damn thing for this country, haven't raised a finger for this country, start trashing everybody else. Solid conservatives, Chip Roy, Byron Donalds, Tom McClintock, Jim Jordan. And I go down a long list of Freedom Caucus members and conservative, other conservatives. Because they won't fall in line behind Matt Gates, who's a reprobate. who's cutting deals with Marxists, then goodbye. 
I don't even know why you go on my social sites. You don't need to. Don't stress out. Here are the facts. I spoke to a couple of conservative Senate Republicans. I mean solid. And more than a couple of conservative House members. And I mean solid. On Friday, the Republican conference put up a bill, McCarthy. Listen to this. To vote to cut 30% to all federal agencies. 30%. And H.R. 2 to secure the border with mandates. The military. Obviously the Border Patrol and Homeland Security. And the Veterans Administration would be held harmless. But that's it. That 30% would apply to the Department of Justice. FBI. The whole kit and caboodle. The main person behind that was Byron Donalds. Not the only one, but the main. There was a whole strategy developed. And I took notes during these discussions. Between the conservatives in the House and the conservatives in the Senate. An entire strategy, and that includes the Republican um, steering committee. With the likes of Ted Cruz, Mike Lee, and so forth and so on. And the plan was to get this passed in the House, and the Republicans agreed to it, the vast majority. Shockingly, even the moderates and the liberals. Get it over to the Senate, where the Senate conservatives would use it to pound Mitch McConnell. To have leverage leverage with Mitch McConnell, the Senate Republican leadership, so-called. But it was killed by Matt Gates. And 20 other House members who got nervous, who got scared. The original five were joined by 16. Now that's not even 10% of the Republicans there, but the overwhelming majority of the Freedom Caucus, the conservatives, supported this bill, 30%. And rather than these pseudo-conservatives on social media supporting those who put forward this bill, who had a plan to duke it out in the Senate, to finally hold McConnell and their leadership responsible, they killed it. They voted with the Democrats. They voted with the Progressive Caucus. They voted with the Marxists. Because they said they wanted to shut down the government. You just got a 30% deal. Now the government's open for 45 days. And nothing is cut. 
Biden, Schumer, McConnell, Hakeem Jeffries, and the Progressive Caucus got their way because they ran circles around Matt Gates. They ran circles around him. Because he has a hate on for McCarthy. And maybe some of you do too, but you've got to put the country first. You've got to put the country first. You can't do Pickett's charge and then claim you're a serious conservative. You can't be a kamikaze and claim you're a serious conservative. You're not. Because grave damage was done to this country. Because if that had passed, we'd be debating a very different scenario right now. The ball would be in the court of the Senate. McConnell would have his back to the wall. The conservatives in the Senate would be pressing. All of that was killed. For what? The original proposal was 8%. But the Republicans said, you know what? Let's cut 30. Let's cut 30. That's what we said in May. Let's do it. And all but 26 agreed. 30%. Doesn't mean that we're going to get 30%. But they wanted to have, you know, they wanted to put a flag in the ground. They wanted a marker so they could have a a solid foundation on which to fight an agenda. Now they have nothing. And Gates is the first one out there saying McCarthy is the Democrat speaker. While he's negotiating with the Progressive Caucus. The lowest of the low lives in Washington, D.C. That is a snake. That's what that is. And for people to cheer this on is to encourage that kind of stupidity. That's not conservative. That's stupid. And you just gave aid and comfort to these Marxists, to Hakeem Jeffries, to Schumer, and Biden. Giving aid and comfort by putting your own personal obsessions ahead of the good of the country is not acceptable to me. And if you think that's okay, then you're not a conservative. That's okay. That's fine. Mark Levin. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. 
making your weekend even better. This is the best of Mark Levin. There's no civil war in the Republican Party. Against the establishment and conservatives there are. But these, that's different. These are eight anarchists. They voted with the Democrats to ensure that they would get what they want, played right into their hands. We now have more federal spending as a result of what they have done, what they did a couple of weeks ago, and what they're doing now. And they're lying to us. You just heard Thomas Massey, who's been involved in all the negotiations, whether it was all the deals that were cut to make sure conservatives had significant posts throughout the House committees and so forth. He was in on those discussions and negotiations. He was in on the debt ceiling negotiations. And so you either have to believe Thomas Massey or Matt Gates. Now, out of the 20 or so members who originally opposed McConnell back in January, only, listen to this, who voted for McConnell today? Scott Perry, Lauren Boebert, Chip Roy, Keith Safe, Andy Ogles, Ralph Norman, Mary Miller, Andy Harris, Paul Gosar, Andrew Clyde, Michael Cloud, Josh Beecham, Dan Bishop, and Byron Donalds. Are they all rhinos and neocons? These are the most conservative members of the House of Representatives. Who voted today with Hakeem Jeffries and the squad? Matt Gates, of course. Matt Gates now says he can accept anybody, pretty much anybody. This guy Elmer is a liberal. So I can vote for him. Are you out of your mind? Andy Biggs, Mr. Anti-Convention of States. He's Mr. Conservative. Are you kidding me? He was on the floor today, spoke the longest, was utterly incomprehensible. Matt Rosendale, who said he was involved in making sure that the Republicans didn't have a bigger victory. Does that sound like people who hate the Democrat Party because they hate us? And by the way, many people who lost their races in the midterms were conservatives and the idiots celebrating it. We only have one way to take Congress. We have to win the elections with conservatives. He wants to be a senator now from Montana. Nancy Mace, you've not heard another host on radio or TV criticize this head case as much as I have. They put her on TV. Why? Because she hates Trump. That's why. She votes against McCarthy. He promised me he'd do something about guns and women's issues. Oh, okay. There's another one. Saving America. Ken Buck. All over MSNBC over the weekend. All over CNN. Trashing conservatives. While pretending to be one. Refusing to vote against funding drag queens at the Pentagon. We're going to follow him off the cliff? 
Oh, come on. This is a disgrace. Those of you who've been with this program for 21 years, you know that we, you and I, we led the charge to get rid of Boehner. I did it with Mark Meadows, and we did it together. We led the charge to help push Paul Ryan out of office. You and me, not the other hosts, not any TV host. We did this. So when I tell you that this is different, we've been together long enough. It's not that I've changed. It's that I refuse to go along in Pickett's charge. I refuse to go along with the kamikazes who are funding the government at higher levels than the proposal that they voted against. And why is it that they're never questioned and their character and their, their purpose? Why is that? I'm not running for office. They're running for office. How can you say out of one side of your mouth, this guy McCarthy's no good, and then support his lieutenant? Scalise. How can you do that? Or support even more liberal members? I'll tell you what, what scares me is so many people can be played for suckers. And now we might lose everything. We might lose everything. The plan for a 30% cut overall. Well, it was an 8% overall, 30% in certain departments because they were protecting defense, the veterans. Think we should do that? I do. And the most conservative border security bill ever. And the plan was that the real conservatives in the House, the Chip Roy's, the Byron Donald's, and others, others, negotiated that deal with the so-called moderates and liberals in the Republican Party, so they had it together. Then they had discussed this and made a deal with Senate conservatives that they get a bill like this over to them, and then they would take it and use it to hammer McConnell. And Gates says, no, I don't know, I need to, every bill has to be voted on in a regular order. Like, that's going to fix anything. Are you telling me if they put a bill on the floor today to cut the government 25% across the board with certain exceptions, by the way, something that I would support, that you folks wouldn't support it? Well, they did. They cut it 30%. Now... Now we have this 45-day continuing resolution. So they stop the conservatives in the House, the real conservatives in the House, and the real conservatives in the Senate from doing what they wanted to do, and then they complain that there's going to be more spending. They were told that this would lead to more spending. Then they complain that the border's open. Oh, they're the real conservatives, though, baby. Why? Ah, they know how to pull those heartstrings. We have a $33 trillion deficit. You heard Thomas Macy and me. I never heard squat from Matt Gates about that. Three years ago or four years ago. When we were pounding the table right here. And I wrote a whole damn book about it. Be careful. 
Be careful with politicians, period. I've had it up to here with politicians. I've had it up to here with Washington. I'm sick and tired of the whole damn thing. And I'm sick and tired of phony conservatives who undermine real conservatives. We're not talking about Larry Hogan and Chris Christie and the other reprobates here. No. So we could very easily lose the House now because a lot of these Republicans, and many of them are conservative, who are in these swing districts, they may not make it. Matt Gates raised almost $7 million for his campaign. I looked into this today. You know how much he donated to other candidates? Nothing. Wow. He keeps denying he wants to run for governor. That's been his plan. Whether he does or not now, I have no idea. But that's the plan. Rosendale wants to run for the Senate a second time. He got his ass whipped before. So he needs to do what he's doing in his own mind. He stood up against the whole system. Can I ask you a question? If you want to stand up against the system, then why do you run for public office for the Florida Assembly? And then you run for public office to be a member of Congress? Does anybody really believe that we can make major, major, major changes if you're in Congress? I look at these guys. And I say to myself, so many damn political hacks. And they pretend that they're leading an effort to cut spending when they're willing to massively increase spending, hand the Treasury over to Hakeem Jeffries and Schumer and Biden, and then blame it on everybody else. Do they really take border security seriously? I look at this list. I look at this list. And I think to myself, Andy Biggs in Arizona, you just killed the most conservative border bill in American history. Certainly in modern American history. And you go to the floor of the House today, And you say, yes, we have to admit they did pass this great bill and so forth. And then just move on? Well, that was part of the package? And he just moved on. Did you see that, Mr. Producer? Then he goes on. We were promised 12 appropriation bills. And I see this and I hear this. You just heard Thomas Massey. They tried to pass 12 bills. And they couldn't. And Massey's point is, we could have passed 12 bills if we buckled under to the spending demands of the more liberal members, and of course the Democrats in these committees, it's so tight, you got a one-vote majority, maybe two, on the committees. So we could have had our 12 bills, but he said you can't guarantee the outcome. And what he meant by that was, we'd have 12 massive spending bills. And then, of course, he'd be accused of, look at the massive spending that he has supported. You also just heard from Thomas Massey, 
that under the debt deal in May, 98% of the budget was to be funded if they couldn't get these various appropriation bills done. What did the last proposal negotiated by members of the Freedom Caucus and Republicans in the Senate behind the scenes, what did that propose? 92%. I don't want to hear another damn thing about any one of these eight. I am no special pleader for Kevin McCarthy or Steve Scalise or anybody else. I'm certainly not a special pleader for the RNC, the Republican establishment, when I've spent over two decades behind this microphone fighting every damn one of them. But I will be damned if anarchists who work with Marxists and then beat their Trump about being conservative, I will be damned if I'm going to go along with that crap. Mark Levin. You're listening to the best of Mark Levin. One of the greatest disasters in ancient Jewish history was the destruction of the Second Holy Temple. Those of you who've been to Jerusalem, you see one of the outer walls that survived. It didn't have to end that way. And at Chabad.org, just a little overview that I want to share with you because it has meaning to today. The second holy temple stood in Jerusalem for 420 years. Unlike the period of the first temple when the Jews were, for the most part, autonomous, the vast majority of the second temple era, the Jews were subject to foreign rule, the Persians, the Greeks, eventually the Romans. Aside from the troubles caused by these external powers, the Jews were also plagued internally by tumultuous politics, and they divided into many factions, a phenomenon that ultimately led to the temple's destruction and the nation's torturous exile. A concise history. The Second Temple era spanned 420 years, ending with the Romans' destruction of the Holy Temple in 70 CE. And by the way, that battle went on for almost five years. But for much of this period, Judea was under foreign domination. The beginning of the Roman takeover by allowing Pompey to become involved in the internal affairs of the Holy Land, Hecranus and Aristobulus had inadvertently given Judea in the hands of the Roman Empire. The Roman governors allowed lawlessness to reign. Arab gangs and corrupt Roman officers plundered and killed. Former high priests formed their own militias to control the temple. If the Jews had been united, they would have merited God's protection. It was the factionalism among Jews that ultimately brought about the destruction of the Second Temple. Now the Jews began revolting against the Romans while they were fighting among themselves. They revolted against the Romans throughout the land, and in ever-increasing numbers they joined the movement of the Zealots who were openly preparing for war. Bar Kamatsa stood up, 
brushed the dust from his clothing and said to himself, since the rabbis were present at the feast and did not stop him, this shows they agreed with him. And I'll slander them to the emperor. Rabbi Yohanan ben Zakkai wisely foresaw that Jerusalem was doomed and understood the need to transplant the center of Torah scholarship to another location. The extremists pretending to be Jews coming to offer sacrifices also entered. Once inside, they took out their swords and began to kill moderates as well as visiting Jews. Now finally, all the factions in Jerusalem had no choice but to work together and fight their common enemy. But the outnumbered Jewish defenders, they fought with great courage. But it was too late. The best of friends would snatch food from one another. The Talmud recounts the sorry tale of a woman who killed and consumed her own baby. Titus, the general, saw the Jews were now weakened by hunger. Yet his soldiers cut down all the trees in a 13-mile swath around Jerusalem in order to build a new rampart for their assault. And they also built them to build miles and miles and miles of crosses where captured Jews were tortured. They ran out of trees. The destruction of the temple, the Romans and Jews were crowded together. And their dead bodies fell on top of each other. The sound of screaming filled the air and the floor of the temple was covered with bodies. Whoever the Romans found alive were slaughtered and fed to their dogs. They burned all the houses filled with the starved dead. The victorious Roman troops marched through the ark with Titus. He was at their head and in front of him the young and handsome captives carrying the golden vessels of the temple. Wicked one, the son of a wicked one, descended Esau. The wicked, I have an insignificant creature in my word called Nat. Come ashore and do battle with it. The Redeemer. And with him the potential of redemption was born the moment after the destruction. The second temple fell because the Jews were killing each other, fighting with each other. They were not united. And when they finally were united, it was too late. They had a common enemy. But they were too busy fighting and killing each other. And then it was too late. I want to read you from the epilogue of the Democrat Party Hates America. In May 2023, in his concurring opinion in Arizona versus Mayorkas, Supreme Court Associate Justice Neil Gorsuch issued an unprecedented statement to his fellow Americans. Nothing in his opinion is unknown or new ground, but it is profound in its concise Paul Revere-like warning. Not that the British are coming, but that tyranny is here. And while all is not lost, we are closer to losing our country than many may think. Here's the most salient part of what he wrote. Since March 2020, we have experienced the greatest intrusion on civil liberties in the peacetime history of the United States. 
Executive officials across the country issued emergency decrees on a breaking scale. Governors and local leaders imposed lockdown orders, forcing people to remain in their homes. They shuttered businesses and schools, public and private. They closed closed churches, even as they allowed casinos and other favorite businesses to carry on. They threatened violators, not just with civil penalties, but with criminal sanctions, too. They surveilled church parking lots, recorded license plates, and issued notices warning that attendance at even outdoor services satisfying all state social distancing and hygiene requirements could amount to criminal conduct. Federal executive officials entered the act, too. They deployed a public health agency to regulate landlord-tenant relations nationwide. They used a workplace safety agency to issue vaccine mandates for most working Americans. They threatened to fire non-compliant employees and warned that service members who refused to vaccinate might face dishonorable discharge and confinement. And along the way, it seems federal officials may have been pressured social media companies to censor information about pandemic policies with which they disagreed. He said the concentration of power in the hands of so few may be efficient and sometimes popular, but it does not tend towards sound government. However wise one person or his advisors may be, that is not substitute for the wisdom of the whole of the American people. Decisions made by a few often yield unintended consequences that may be avoided when more are consulted. Autocracy have always suffered from this defect. Left unsaid, of course, this is me, that the vast majority of those who acted in this manner described by Justice Gorsuch were overwhelmingly Democrat officials. From New York to California, Illinois to Michigan, everywhere in between. The bluest states ceased being free and open societies. They were as close to police states as we have seen or experienced, certainly in recent history. Democrat Party officials, in particular, demonstrated a lust and frenzy for seizing and experienced power, issuing fiats that previously seemed unimaginable. Many Americans lost their lives, who need not have, and died without family and friends around them. And at the federal level, the keys to the government were effectively handed to longtime medical and health care bureaucrats who rejected most information that did not comport with their narrative. It came from sources outside their circle of sycophants, although they were welcoming of self-serving and politicized advice from the likes of the teachers' unions. Although memories tend to be short, let us hope they are not so short as to forget what was done to the country. It is one thing when politicians seek the input of experts as part of the decision-making process, particularly when the issues are atypical or require a certain degree of speciality, as the COVID-19 virus surely did. But that's not what happened broadly. Moreover, the level of corporate and social media participation in censoring and dismissing competing medical and scientific opinions and demeaning the highly regarded professionals who attempted to voice them as well as lockstep acceptance of the integrity and soundness of virtually every edict issued by the few self-appointed medical masterminds at the top of the D.C. bureaucratic ladder, underscores the extent to which America lacks a free press. It is proselytizing for the Democrat Party, 
and the party's agenda makes its supposed independence from Democrat-run administrations and the administrative state impossible and preposterous. For this, the country pays an enormous price in liberty and a functioning constitutional republic. Unlike the Republican Party, the Democrat Party is more than a political party. It is the state party. It seeks to monopolize the political system, the culture, the government, and society. And while the Republican Party exists to try to win elections, the Democrat Party plays for keeps. That is, election defeats can never be allowed to interfere with the ideological trajectory the party imposes on the nation. And when the Democrat Party wins elections, it continues building upon the permanent parts of the government infrastructure it firmly controls. Thus, the Democrat Party single-handedly builds permanent centers of power, including in the vast federal bureaucracy, subsidized non-government organizations, lifetime activist judges, tenured professors and teachers, party members in the media, etc. The Democrat Party uses the culture and politics to empower itself and its agenda, and Democrats have no intention of surrendering control of either. Consequently, when the Democrat Party wins elections, it claims broad mandates. When it loses elections, it ignores the popular will of the people and turns to the permanent government and its cultural surrogates to sabotage Republicans and push forward with their American Marxist agenda. Consequently, over time, it becomes increasingly difficult to reverse the Democrat Party's political and cultural damage. Conversely, the Republican establishment is mostly flat-footed, Of course, the Republican Party does not exist to fundamentally transform America. However, when it refuses to acknowledge or take effective, affirmative, and proactive steps to counter the Democrat Party's agenda and the forces of American Marxism, and in too many cases acquiesces and contributes to them, the Republican Party fails in its most important mission, to defend the American people from a Democrat Party that literally hates the country and is destroying it from within. And unlike the Democrat Party, the Republican establishment would rather betray its own base, conservatives, and try to marginalize it than battle the Democrat Party, preferring to make appeals to the Democrat Party media and demonstrate their bipartisan common sense in pursuit of temporary political power and positive media coverage. Senate Republican Leader Mitch McConnell, the likes of Mitt Romney, Susan Collins, Lisa Murkowski, Chris Sununu, Asa Hutchinson, and Chris Christie, are but a few contemporary examples of this defeatist mindset. It is also one reason why they and Republicans like them constantly target Donald Trump, Ron DeSantis, Ted Cruz, Mike Lee, and others who understand the nature of the threat and are willing to confront it. It takes uncommon fortitude, principles, and foresight to recognize and engage the Democrat Party, its surrogates, and American Marxist movements. And it goes on. But mark these eight, they had uncommon fortitude. No, they didn't. They're saboteurs. The House Republicans, with the tiniest majorities, have been making very good progress. Very good progress. Those eight teamed up with the Democrat Party and destroyed it. Mark Levin. The Great One makes your weekend even better. 
This is the best of Mark Levin. Our founding and history are under assault. Our families and faiths are being degraded. Individualism has been substituted for groupism. Colorblindness is now racist. Capitalism and prosperity are being devoured by economic socialism and climate change fanaticism. Classrooms have become indoctrination mills for racism, segregation, bigotry, and sexual perversion. And teachers' unions are hostile to parental involvement in critical decisions about the health and welfare of their children. In America, free speech and academic freedom are shrinking. And the police state is growing, as is monitoring and spying on citizens. The government is banning and regulating more and more household products from incandescent light bulbs to dishwashers while creating shortages and driving up costs of others. Crime is out of control in our streets, public transportation and schools, while police budgets are slashed and many prosecutors and judges coddle violent criminals. Our borders are wide open to millions of foreigners who seek entry into the country as drug and criminal cartels ship killer drugs into our country by the tons and brutalize migrants by using them as indentured servants and sex slaves. And the list goes on. The Democrat Party is responsible for most of this and much more. It seeks to permanently control our governmental institutions just as it dominates our cultural entities, from the media to academia, from entertainment to science. It seeks to delegitimize and eviscerate the Constitution, including the Bill of Rights, the Electoral College, the Supreme Court, separation of powers, and so forth, which obstructs its ideological designs. It abuses the rule of law by targeting its political opponents for harassment, investigation, and prosecution. And in the end, it seeks to imprison them. On October 30, 2008, when Barack Obama shouted to a crowd that we are five days away from fundamentally transforming the United States of America, he was not kidding. On May 14, 2008, when Michelle Obama pronounced that We're going to have to change our conversation. We're going to have to change our traditions, our history. We're going to have to move into a different place as a nation. She meant it. The Obamas are not alone among Democrat Party apparatchiks in their contempt for the country. In fact, it is the rare top Democrat Party politician who regularly praises America and is sincere about it. They mostly trash-talk the country and smear millions of its people. The examples are too numerous to catalog, but it is a party that is built on the demands and propaganda of revolutionaries, demagogues, and malcontents, and has a horrifying history of supporting the most contemptible causes, including slavery, segregation, the Ku Klux Klan, eugenics, and even lynchings. Indeed, almost from the start, the Democrat Party rejected the principles and values of the American experiment, 
Today it is the home of another anti-American movement. The American Marxism movement. With its various ideological appendages. The Democrat Party ruling class, elites and activists are united in this revolution. Which is swirling all around us. The title of this book. This is from chapter one. Declares that the Democrat Party hates America. Indeed, if you want to fundamentally transform something, you clearly do not love it or even like it. As I have explained on my radio show time and again, if someone says, I wish I could fundamentally transform my spouse, then you obviously don't love or like your spouse. But what if you don't want to fundamentally transform America and love our country? What about that? Well, then the ruling class of the Democrat Party will try to destroy you, silence you, dismiss you. That's the way it works. Biden is an autocrat. That's what he is. And autocrats, whether they're Marxist, fascists, or of their own making, they want power. I've done probably a hundred radio interviews, morning, noon, and night, over the past five or six weeks. Fantastic hosts, affiliates, see your satellite, online, certain podcasts, you name it. And I'm grateful to everybody. And as I say in the book, and I said in every interview, You must look at the Democrat Party through the lens of power. It's right there in the book. It hates our country. The Declaration, the Constitution. It hates free speech. It hates peaceful protest. Unless it agrees with it. It hates the competition of ideas. It seeks to monopolize the language, thought processes, beliefs, and values in service to its own power. And as I say in the book, the Republican Party is in a different place. As incompetent as so many are, They don't even recognize the danger. Some do. And some do and then shoot themselves in the temple in the country with them. That's a different story. This book is not written for politicians in Washington, D.C. Republican or Democrat. I'm sick and tired of politicians. Particularly ones that lie to us and then pretend to to represent us. This book is written for you. I'm one of the few people in broadcasting who spends and has spent his life studying history, ancient history, American history. I can't get enough of it. But there are lessons for us. How many have read 25 books on people who have survived totalitarianism. I don't mean interviewed people. I mean read the books. 
That's how many books I read for this book that I wrote on that issue. This is why so many who have survived the gulags of the Soviet Union, the internment camp that is North Korea, the slaughter and torture in China and Cuba and other places. Not one of them supports Joe Biden. Not one of them supports the Democrat Party. Not one of them has or will. And those who are alive today ask the same question, what's happening to our country? This generation, my generation and the generation right behind us, we're in a uniquely important position. What's happening in America is not unique. It's happened before in other countries. It's happened in other republics. It's happened in Europe. It's happened in the Middle East. It's happened. We need to learn from it. So who's going to tell us about it? The politicians aren't going to be able to tell us about it. They're too stupid. Most people in broadcasting, if they have books, they haven't written them. They spend their time doing other things, and I do not hold that against them. Most of them will live longer than I do. But I feel a responsibility as the second largest syndicated radio show on the face of the earth to use this microphone and to use every platform I have to lay out the case between good and evil to lay out the case for liberty and tyranny we're running out of time all that stuff that took place the last 48 hours in Washington DC didn't help us we're wasting time The Democrats and their surrogates in and out of government, they don't waste time. They use elective office to destroy elective office. They use the voting system to destroy the voting system. They use their judges and their courts to destroy justice and law. They use their mayorships and their governorships to destroy our cities, whether it's crime or illegal immigration. They use the teachers' unions, which are paid and bought for, to destroy the relationship between a family and their child, and to brainwash them. They are at odds with the Bill of Rights. They are constantly attacking it. They come up with proposals to destroy free speech. Their judges are issuing gag orders. Like candy on Halloween. 
against one person, Donald Trump, as they did against Roger Stone, as they did against Paul Manafort, and as they will against anybody who gets in their way. You're living through a soft tyranny, as Alexis de Tocqueville called it. He didn't think it could happen in the United States because he said with all these townships and villages and counties, there's no way under their constitution that they could control these, these Americans who are rugged individuals. Alexis de Tocqueville wrote two volumes, Democracy in America, or two volumes. He came to the United States twice. He was despised by Marx, who dismissed him as an intellectual lightweight. And yet that's one of the most important books, those two volumes, actually, in existence to describe America. I didn't have Alexis de Tocqueville in mind when I wrote The Democrat Party Hates America. But I think it'll be said when I'm gone that it was certainly one of the most important books describing the entity that is destroying our country. Won't matter, I'll be dead and gone. But while I'm alive and kicking, on the top side of the grass, as we say, I'm going to keep pushing the hell out of this because of what's in the book. I can't do otherwise. Otherwise, there's no point to my existence. There's no point to this radio show. There's no point to my Blaze platform. There's no point to my Fox platform. I'm really not a broadcaster, even though I broadcast on multiple platforms. I'm an activist. I'm mission-oriented. I believe in everything I say. I don't put a wet finger to the air and want to know Who's for Gates? Who's against Gates? Who's for McCarthy? I don't care. And if people don't agree with me, that's okay. In the end, we all have to live with ourselves. But I'll be damned if I allow the Democrat Party to define itself. A party of bloodlust, of horrific racism and anti-Semitism, Endless anti-Americanism. A party of the Marxist movements in this country. And every other movement that seeks to destroy our traditions and our customs. Our ancestors fought for our liberty. Many of them died. Many of them died whose names we don't even know. They're dismissed as racists. Many of the most brilliant authors, philosophers, are dismissed or never discussed. 
We have millions and millions of people crossing our border, most of whom don't speak our language, most of whom are illiterate in their own language. Well, it's hard to understand a complex document like the Constitution of the United States if you can't speak your own language, let alone our language. What we have here is the disuniting of America, as Arthur Schlesinger Jr. put it, the purposeful destruction of this country. And if we don't start pointing the finger at the entity that's doing this, rather than talking about it in a vacuum or abstractly, then it's over. And I don't want it to be over. We can't surrender. Mark Levin. We're giving you nothing but the best. The best of Mark Levin. Jim Jordan should be the next speaker. He was loyal to the previous speaker. And the previous speaker, he was loyal to because the previous speaker was doing the things that he promised to do. Jim Jordan is a conservative. He's been running the Judiciary Committee quite well. And I think he'd be very, very good. And I want to thank Hakeem Jeffries. I mean, this is the logic now that Matt Gates is using. Yeah, we'll have Jim Jordan. That's better than MacArthur because of me, me, me. No, no, pal. Every Democrat voted to vacate. You colluded with the Marxist party that's destroying our country. And the result is the chair was vacated. Couldn't have been done without Hakeem Jeffries, and you know it. That's why you were conspiring with the Democrats. The squad. The other Marxist reprobates. So I don't take credit for that. Now, there's a lot of talk today, this evening. A whole lot about Biden and these 20 miles of wall, and he says, I have to do it. I have to do this. Because they pass this as a matter of law, since it's appropriated for, I can't say no. I want you to listen to this, and I'm going to tell you why exactly he's doing it, because nobody else will tell you. Cut one, go. I'll answer one question on the border wall. The border wall, the money was appropriated for the border wall. I tried to get them to reappropriate, to redirect that money. They didn't. They wouldn't. And in the meantime, there's nothing under the law other than they have to use the money for what was appropriate. I can't stop that. Do you believe the border wall works? No. So I have to do this. Because Congress told me I had to do it. Why did he wait? Ah, I'll get to that in a minute. That's the key question that I'll answer. Jean-Pierre at the White House briefing today. What about these funds appropriated for the wall? Cut three, go. Why does his own Department of Homeland Security secretary say in a public notice, quote, there is presently an acute and immediate need to construct physical barriers? Here's what I can say. I can speak to what the president was very clear in saying and also what you all have been reporting about, uh, about this uh, uh, this construction. 
so the facts are this. Uh, this, uh, this is not new. Uh, these funds were appropriated in fiscal year 2019 under Republican leadership, and DHS is required by law to use the funds for appropri appropriated purpose. That's mm -hmm. what we're seeing. This was announced back in June by the DHS. And so, look, we, we believe that there are better effective ways of moving forward to secure our border and security, we, our border security, and we have continuously asked for Congress uh, to act, uh, to provide our CBP, uh, the law enforcement, uh, law enforcement at the border, uh, to give them the resources they need to do their jobs. All right, listen to me. This is very important. So they're saying two things at once. And they do make sense if you're Joe Biden. I don't believe in this border wall. He tells his base. I don't think a border wall works. He tells his base. But all of a sudden, the monies were appropriated, and he says, I can't just ignore this. I have to do this. Why did that light bulb go off, America? I'm going to tell you why. On this radio show that's heard by 14 and a half million people nationwide during the course of the week, on Blaze TV, on Levin TV, and on my Fox programs, Life, Liberty, and Levin, this past weekend especially, I laid out that the first impeachment article against Joe Biden should be his failure to uphold Article 4, Section 1 of the United States Constitution. What is that? The full faith. Well, what am I talking about there? The President of the United States not only takes an oath, but he is compelled. He is compelled to comply with statutes that he may even disagree with. Supreme Court has said so on several important and numerous occasions. That the President of the United States might be the President of the United States, but if a law is passed and he doesn't like the law, he still must comply with the law unless he has some overriding substantive constitutional objection. There is no overriding substantive constitutional objection to the wall. It's a policy objection. I've said behind this microphone, I said on TV, I said to the House Judiciary Committee, not personally, but through these various public platforms. Article 1 in the impeachment of Joe Biden, you don't need any hearings on this issue. He is not upholding his oath of office. He's not upholding the second place where we have it in the Constitution. He is not upholding his requirement to ensure that the laws of the land are executed. He's ignoring these immigration laws. So when Congress appropriated funds for the wall and he blew it off, that was an impeachable offense. How many times have I said it, Rich? Tom blew in the face. Now, apparently the Republicans on Capitol Hill don't hear me. But the lawyers in the White House apparently do. P. 
people are shocked at this reverse. What's he doing? This reverse, of course. All of a sudden, it's appropriations. Yes, reverse course. Even our own conservatives on our own conservative networks don't understand what's taking place. And they don't listen to what I'm telling them. The reason why Joe Biden genuflect within a few days is because he realized I was right. I'm not saying he's listening. Others are listening. Although he knows who I am and he's told me he has listened, called me a smart ass. At least he could get that out of his mouth. It's an impeachable offense. You don't even need any more evidence. The evidence is obvious. So what does he do? He starts to try to repair this. Well, they appropriated the funds. Okay. I have no choice. No. But do you support the wall? No. You think it'll work? No. But I have to do it. This was the low-hanging fruit. It was the most obvious, tangible article of impeachment that could have been drawn up. What he has done and is doing on the border. No, he's not in the, he's not scot-free. There's other immigration laws he continues to violate. But this one was obvious. Congress appropriates funds, not once, but twice. Finish the wall. And he says, no, I'm not going to do that. Then all of a sudden, this week he reverses course. Because they realize, wait a minute. It is an impeachable offense. We don't have to do deep dives into finances and all the rest. We don't need subpoenas. We don't need anything. This is low-hanging fruit. You don't even need an impeachment inquiry. There it is. They're defying the law, and they're saying they're defying the law, and they're letting parts of the wall rust in the desert. They're selling it off as scrap. Okay, great. Send us some more pictures, just more and more evidence of an impeachable offense. Where have the legal analysts been on this? Nowhere. Why? Because if you're a former federal prosecutor, you're focused, like, myopically. Well, you know, document 12.17, section 7341, that's a violation of the Espionage Act. He should have really turned that over. Whoa, 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 whoa. Step back. Now, so the debate is over policy. That's all you're hearing. Over his hypocrisy. Wait a minute. Here's an example. Missing the entire point of why there's hypocrisy. John Berman, as dense as a block of cement on CNN today, he plays clips of Trump and as Biden saying he will not build another foot of the wall. Cut to go. Biden made clear that he would not expand the border wall if elected. Yeah. Oh. Trump campaigned on um, build that wall. Are you willing to tear that wall down? No, I'm, there will not be another foot of wall constructed on my administration. The president also said today that um, former presidents have said to him that they wish that they had built a wall. Do you I recall President Obama ever one. saying that? I can't think of a single one who said that. We need border security, but that's not the border security we need. And on the day he took office, President Biden signed a proclamation stating that, quote, building a massive wall that spans the entire southern border is not a serious policy solution. That we should know today's action does not do that. It's a 20-mile section. Nevertheless, it is very different than what President Biden campaigned on. 
So he's not going to finish the law. He's going to build a 20-mile section. They'll argue that's what's been appropriated. There's no more. And then he's now filing, following the law. And so you're going to see this debate. He did it because he suddenly has seen the problems in the Democrat cities, the Democrat Party, uh, excuse me, mayors and governors, some of the pressure. And so he's finally buckled. It's not what happened. Joe Biden's about Joe Biden. Joe Biden's about power. That's why they're getting this message. Do you think it works? No. Do you want it? No. You have to do it? Yes. Why? Because they passed the damn appropriation. And it's been my point that Congress has passed the appropriation and other immigration laws, past and recent, and he has not complied with them. These are impeachable offenses. And one of his damn lawyers finally whispered in his ear, Joe, they have us on this one. They don't need an inquiry. They don't need subpoenas. They don't need depositions. It's all in the public record. Uh-oh. We better figure out how to fix that. Here's Jean-Pierre. Cut three. Go. Why does his own Department of Homeland Security Secretary say in a public notice, quote, there is president... I meant four. I'm sorry. As a candidate, President Biden didn't say... There will not be another foot of wall constructed that, uh, except what was appropriated in 2019. He said, there will not be another foot of wall constructed in my administration. So something changed. What? You want us to break the law. Is that what you want? You want us to not comply with the now law? Now let's stop right there. And I'm a huge fan of Peter Doocy. There it is. It's laid out right in front of you. You want us to break the law. Joe Biden was breaking the law. Joe Biden was violating the Constitution. Joe Biden has committed an impeachable offense because he's still not following the law, but they figure this will be enough. That's why they say their policy is not to finish the wall or even 20 miles of wall. But we have no choice. And so the next question, Peter and everybody else, should be, you did this because you were concerned about an impeachment article, aren't you? Folks, I, I, I want to tell the reporters out there, you don't have to fear me. You don't have to pretend I don't exist. I know most of you despise me, and I despise most of you. But sometimes the information I provide, if not all the time, is very useful. I'm telling you why they did this. And they're kind of telling you, but they don't use the I word. They're kind of telling you. He's breaking the law if he doesn't do this. He's been breaking the law. Go ahead. But you want us to not comply with the law. You want us to not be in administrations that follow the law. You guys do this all the time. The student loans, uh, the student loan forgiveness program, uh, you went to court to fight for that. If this is such a problem, building 20 miles of wall, why not just go to court? We went to Congress. The Congress appropriates the funding. Why not Congress, fight them more? Congress appropriates Okay, so the let's fun- stop here. He should be impeached for that. That is defying a Supreme Court ruling. He should be. But here he has a statute, a law, an appropriation. Not a ruling that they figure they can try and get around, and they shouldn't. But this is black and white. And they know it. And I know it. 
And I'm saying it over and over again. And the media would know it if they had enough integrity to listen to what I'm telling them. 